so tonight, I, I want to take you to this one portion of Scripture. As I was praying over tonight, there's a couple things rolling in my spirit, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit honed in on this. Proverbs 25, 19, it says, A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. Father, I pray tonight that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to each of us while I'm talking tonight. Speak to each of us tonight your word, your grace, your revelation, and empower people to walk in the truth and in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's Proverbs 25, 19. Now, there are very few things in life that ignite our emotions rob us of joy, and bring incredible frustration than for someone to tell somebody else a lie about us. And even worse, that they believe the lie. And if I want to compound it on top of that, they never even come and ask you about it to clarify the truth. Is this resonating with anybody here tonight? And you say, why is this important, Pastor? Well, I want to share with you three ways that lies affect us and how to counter those effects in our lives. Because you, you can experience the awesome, wonderful, magnificent power of God, and then the enemy can use somebody to go over here and tell a lie about you to try to distract you and derail you from what God has spoken in your life and what he's doing in your life and get you up, upset and, as we say, toe up from the flow up. And, 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 and you're all so messed up in your life that you can't function properly. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Has anybody ever experienced anything like that in your life? Kind of wave at me all over the building here just a little bit. I thought so. Okay, first let's establish what a false witness is. Webster's Dictionary says the word false means not true, tending to deceive or mislead. Witness is to bear witness to, testify to, see, hear, or to know by personal perception. So from that we can define, I can take those two statements and I can put it in a sentence and say that a false witness is someone who testifies or communicates information about another person that is not true for the purpose of deceiving or misleading people. Does that sound pretty accurate? All right. Now, I ask you, have you ever experienced that before? And I think everybody that was awake and listening has. But the next question is, what was your response? Was it to try to clarify? Was it to try to attack back? Was it to yell and scream? Was it to get on Facebook and post all kinds of stuff? Uh, what, 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 what was your response to that when, when that happened in your life? And, and, and then another question would be, how do you feel about it today? Because it, it could have happened 10 years ago, and you're still feeling all up in it today. Now, in this verse we read from Proverbs, there are three things that reflect the goals and results of a false witness. Now, first of all, I'm going to define this for you. Then we're going to cycle back around. And as a pastor, I'm going to give you three ways, a way each to deal with these three I'm going to share with you. Now, notice in, back in the Proverbs, let me back up to there and read that. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club. Everybody say club. A sword. Everybody say sword. And a sharp arrow. Say it with me. Sharp arrow. Okay, let's start with club. What would be the result of hitting something or someone with a club? (laughs) 
the picture that instantly comes in my mind is people with the little salmon sticks, you know, hitting the sand the end of the club. That's, which I did not get to do today. But um, what would be the result? Well, the result, it would smash it or it would disfigure it, right? That's what a club does. It just smashes. You know, sledgehammer, bam. It, it just smashes. It disfigures whatever it hits. So from a spiritual context, when Proverbs says that, that a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, the club refers to people trying to change the way other people see you. See, they disfigure you. They change your look and your appearance by that club so that people see you differently than what you really are. Perhaps someone saw you as trustworthy and honest, but then after a false witness told lies about you, they saw you as dishonest and not to be trusted. But you haven't changed at all. But the lie caused a visional uh, disfigurement of what you really are to that person because they believe that. So you wonder how people could change overnight or just in a moment of time toward you. It's because they, they've, you've been hit, your, your reputation, you've been hit with a club, and although you look the same and you are the same, in the eyes of that person who received the lie, that person now has a disfigured appearance of you in their heart and mind. As a result, it affects the way they relate to you. Uh, Rose and I went into ministry full-time, um, age 30, 31. We started a church um, in February the 19th, 1984 was the first Sunday. And um, so I was 28, I guess. And uh, we, uh, we started that church. Now, I had, I had been a youth leader for 10 years. We had, we led the youth ministry for 10 years, but it was from a volunteer standpoint. So we'd never been on staff in a church. Uh, my pastor was a great preacher, but he just really wasn't, he wasn't a mentor. He didn't spend any time with us at all. Just we show up and do our thing, and that was it. So really, the only thing I knew is about experience and what I went through. Now, there's no preachers in my family. I'm the first pastor in my family. I really didn't have a mentor in my life. And I had this, this false, I had this, I, I guess, just this image of what it would mean to be a pastor. I thought that since I quit my good job and I left my career and I got rid of all my businesses and everything else, I got since I gave all of that up to serve Jesus and be a pastor, that people would just love me and appreciate the fact that they didn't have to do that and, and, and I'm laboring for the Lord. Now, now, you got to understand, I was very immature in all this. I didn't know. But I had this idea that, you know, well, since I'm doing this for you and Jesus, and I'm sacrificing my dreams so you can live your dream. I mean, I, you understand, I was immature now. I didn't understand the depth of the call of God. I didn't understand how awesome it was and, and how incredible it is. I understand that now. I understand that. You know, I understand what uh, I think it was Spurgeon that said, if you have a call of God on your life to be a pastor, do not submit to be king of England. Uh, I mean, he, so he was comparing it to higher than being king of England. So I understand that now, but back then I didn't understand that. So I thought because that's what I was doing that, that people would just be so respectful to me and of me, and everything else. Well, I, I, don't want to shatter, I don't want to shatter your fantasy world, but I was wrong. 
And I could, it's one of the things that I struggled with so much as a young pastor in those first few years was people that would just, I mean, Christians that would make up, make up lies and go tell them on as if they were the truth. I just like, I couldn't, be, I, I couldn't believe it. And then other pastors, we planted a church in a little town. Uh, 4,500 people, there's only 16,000 in the county. And uh, uh, we were the first church like this church in that county. Doctrinally, service-wise like this, you know, worshiping God, singing, believing the power of the Holy Ghost, the first church in that entire county. Uh, in our, in our first, when we first had a uh, softball team, a men's softball team, there were eight teams in the, in the church softball league, seven Baptist teams and us. That was it. That was it. That was it. And uh, there was one, and one of the teams was a Baptist Methodist team because the Methodists only had three men in the church to play softball. It was real little. And so they made it up with another little Baptist church, but they wouldn't play with us. So... Of course, you know, we wound up having the best team. Still, um, there were three different pastors in the, in the county there that for whatever reason decided that I was there, um, I was going to be their punching bag. And these, these guys didn't know me. I'd never met them. I, I'm, I'm just a dumb country boy. I'm working six days a week from midnight to eight in the morning in the underground coal mines. I'm praying. I'm trying to do everything. My family, we left a, a nice big home that we built our first new home when we were 23 years old. Uh, a nice home on a hill on the family farm. We left. We were living in a little two-room, two-bedroom farmhouse uh, that is surrounded by cornfields. You could not see another building from there. Field mice infiltrated thing. They were having babies in the drawers with roses closed and stuff like that. And, and I'm doing all this, and these guys had the audacity to get in their pulpit and call me a devil worshiper and mock us. One guy would get in the pulpit and literally talk, he would talk funny like he was mocking us talking in tongues. He would make up words, and he said, that's talking in tongues, and just mock us. Um, I, I, just, I just could not understand that dynamic. Now, I learned some things during those times, and that's what I want to share with you today, that we've all got experiences like that to one degree. And you say, well, when did that stop, Pastor? Uh, it hasn't. <laughs> In fact, it got worse. <laughs> but you need to understand that it is a tactic of the devil. Now, if you know how to deal with the tactic, you can overcome the enemy. See, in your life. If you know how to deal, and that's what I'm going to talk about here, you know how to deal with it. You know how to deal with it. Um, by the way, one of those pastors, his church burned to the ground. And I took up an offering and gave him $10,000 to help start rebuilding his new church. He never talked about me again. Another, another, guy, another guy criticized us because we talked about healing. We were sitting in the bleachers of a softball game one day, and he was sitting over here with some of his people, and I was sitting with one of my guys that had broke his leg in the coal mines. And he starts talking. I can hear him. He starts talking loud so everybody can hear him. He says, I wonder why they don't heal that boy over there. You know, they, they, they preach about all that divine healing. It looks like they'd heal that boy over there. 
I'm talking about it assault in the bleachers. That's how bizarre it was. He died of cancer. Before he died, he called and asked me to come to his house and pray for him. Another guy got voted out of his church and wound up in a little bitty church somewhere in the woods somewhere. I don't know why. Now, now I'm not saying, I don't know if that's in direct correlation. No, I don't have any idea. I, I don't know. But, but what I know, what I learned is what I want to share with you here tonight. And I'm taking a little longer in my introduction. But I want you to understand this, that no matter who you are in life, what you're doing in life, the more you dedicate, the more you're going to do something for God, the enemy will send people along to make up lies about you, tell lies about you, and it will hurt you. There's no insulation here that keeps us from the gravel roads and the rocks in life and the skint knees and the busted noses sometimes. Paul said, I fight the good fight of faith. And the only reason it's a good fight is because we win. We win. But it doesn't mean we win without cuts and bruises and scars and knots on our head from time to time. And that's one of the things somebody says, well, I serve Jesus. If I'm doing everything Jesus wants me to do, then that means everything will be okay in my life. Who told you that? They lied to you. Okay? Because that fight is part of the process that teaches us to connect with him and live our lives in victory. All right, a club. A club is designed to change the way other people see you. Number two, a sword. A sword is simply a large knife. It's used to sever things, to cut things in two. So in the case of a false witness, a sword represents lies now listen to this. This is very important. Lies that are designed to disconnect or sever you from relationships. To sever you from relationships. Now, I, I open by saying that relationships are the most important thing that God has ever given us. Okay? It's the most valuable thing we have in life are relationships. So, what would the, what would the enemy want to do? He would want to sever you from relationships that, that are most important to you. So let's, let's put this in a very basic context. You're coming to a church. Uh, you're being blessed there. You develop a relationship with someone in the church that's a leader. You develop a relationship with the pastor. And you're receiving from that person. You're being blessed by that person. You're starting to grow. You see positive fruit in your life. Then the enemy sends somebody to tell you a lie about the pastor or a half lie. And see, the enemies, there's no such thing as a half lie. But, but what I mean by that is they take an element of truth and mix stuff with it. And it's a lie and makes it look what it, it isn't. It, it disfigures, see. So they come and, and they, they speak something to you about what did you know what did you know did you know did you know this did you know did you know this do you know the Bible says do not bring an accusation against an elder without two to three witnesses to back that up okay it also says if you have an issue go to that person and talk to them see most people do not do that okay they'll listen to one witness and never go check out their story that's called gullible immature, and a few other words that I could share. So 
the enemy will send some, and then what will you do? Well, huh. so then Sunday when you come in and the pastor starts preaching, you're like, yeah, but yeah, I wonder, I wonder what he's, I wonder what he's got in mind about that. I wonder, yeah, oh, uh -huh, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if I believe that or not. Yeah, and all of a sudden you're not receiving the word, and if you can't receive the word, you can't. It's, you're, you're on your way out. The enemy has got you tied up, and he's dragging you out right then. And, and so, and, and now, when that happens, uh, if if he's successful in it once, he'll use it again. And again, and again, and again. So you'll go from church to church to church to church to church. And every time, every time you start getting a little roots growing and you're learning and developing, and that here comes somebody else with a little lie. And then you'll get soured on churches and you'll believe like the couple that sat in my office a few years ago said, we have a fresh revelation from God. There's no such thing as organized church anymore. We're just supposed to have church in our home. And we're supposed to tithe to ourselves. And the tithe is for our vacations and things like that. Yeah, and these people had been in full-time ministry before. I said, well, that's another story, okay? But that's what happens is you get to a point to where you have absolutely no respect for ministry or anything else, and it's not because there, none of us are perfect, but it's not because of that. It's because you just believe or we've just believed little lies, lie after lie after lie that has disconnected us from relationships. And it doesn't have to be with the pastor. The relationships could be with someone in the church. It could be with someone you're working with. It could be with an individual that's a blessing to you at your job. And the enemy doesn't want you to excel in that job. And so he speaks a little stuff and he severs that relationship. Are you with me here tonight? And it's, it's a sword. It severs that relationship, and it cuts it off. I've determined, I mean, when people, when people come to me, which they don't really, but when they used to want to tell me something about this brother or whatever, I say, okay, well, here, I mean, skip, let's, call, let's call him right now. Let's go call him right now. Oh, no, yeah, come on. His office is right down the hall here. Let's go, let's go get him. Let's just talk about this right now. Oh, no, Pastor, that's why they don't, that's why they don't, call, don't tell me anymore. Because I'm not going to, I am not dumb to the enemy's strategies. And the person may be well-meaning, they may be, they love God, but they are being deceived and they're being used by the enemy. They don't even know it. And so I got to help them say, whoa, wait a minute, who told you that? Well, I, I, I'm not at liberty to say. Well, then I'm not at liberty to believe a thing that you're saying. See. Now, I know this is not shouting, running the aisles, preaching, but after that's over with, don't let the enemy separate you, sever you from relationships that can bless you. There have been times in my life where I have just determined, I don't, I don't care what they've done or whatever, God has set me here. I'm going to stay here till God releases me from here. And I don't care what they do, what they say, I'm going to focus on what God is doing, and I'm not going to be distracted from that. You've got to get that on the inside of you. If not, you'll be like a leaf blowing in the wind. Oh, I'm taking too much time. That's you know, many times the person who's being lied to by the false witness is the target. 
They are separated, severed from the relationship, you and, and no longer get the benefit from that relationship. I've seen it happen time and time again. I had a, uh, I had a situation happen a few years ago, one of my key staff members in our church. I have 14 pastors full-time on staff, then support staff. We have about 35 full-time on the ministry team side of our church. So that's right now. And so, um, but I had one of our key staff that, that had been working for quite some time and uh, I won't go into all the details, but they, they, be, they began to, they, they thought for some crazy weird reason, I guess they thought that they could take my place. And, um, and I'm like, dude, you can have my place. It belongs to Jesus. I'm, I'm not, I, 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 you know, if, if he raises you up, you can have it. I don't belong to me anyway. I mean, I go to Alaska and work for Pastor Daniel. It's what I'll do. But, uh, uh, but yeah, you can have it. I mean, I... I don't own anything. It all belongs to Jesus, all right? So, and that's a whole other message. But back to this one. Uh, um, so this person went to people that had, I'd pastored for 20 years, and people that were my age, and started telling lies about me. Now, this is a Holy Ghost-filled, ordained person. Now, Revelation tells me that all liars have their part in the lake of fire. I, how many of y'all believe all the Bible? It amazes me how many people don't believe all the Bible. They just believe bits and pieces of it. And so some of those people, a lot of those people, believe that person. Believed them. Never once came to me and said, Pastor, is this true? Is this, did you, did you whatever. And, and, and it wasn't like, they weren't accusing me of any big sin or anything, but just that they'd mistreated that, that one person. None of it was true. None of it was true. Not even an element of it. But this person had influence with them. And they believed that person. And I had people that had been, I had pastored them for 20 years, walk out the door of my church, never even say thank you, never even say goodbye. I'm like, how can that happen? I know how it can happen. The devil is a deceiver, but we have to participate. And they made the mistake of having only one witness and not following up to see if any of it were true. Now, I had a couple of families come in and say, Pastor, want to talk? I said, sure. I'll call the other pastor in, who's my executive, that I always meet with other people, don't ever meet with any staff by themselves, and he, they can share with you. And I said, well, that's what we thought, so we, uh, we're, we're with you, pastor. We're with you. We're with you. But see, many people didn't do that. Now, again, that's our responsibility. You, you've got to avoid that sharp, that, that, that sword that severs. And look at the last one, because I want to get the solution here. Number three is sharp arrow. Sharp arrow is designed to penetrate deep into its target. This represents from a spiritual context. Now, we talked to you, it's a club to disfigure, to change the way people see us. A sword to sever us from relationships that, that are healthy force that God has put in our lives. Now, the sharp arrow represents an attack on our emotions, our heart, and our soul. Job 30, verse 17 says, My bones are pierced in me at night, and my gnawing pains take no rest. There is no hurt like a heart hurt. No, no hurt like a heart hurt. 
I mean, I'd rather take a physical beating than a heart break, a broken heart. And see, that's what happens. And, and, and listen, it, and here's where it's so real in our lives is that you, the closer the people are to us, the deeper the hurt is. Look at Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. Jesus spent three and a half years. And this is something I learned as a younger pastor is that I, I want, when this first happened to me, my first Judas experience happened, I, I really almost quit the ministry. And the church was growing. Everything was doing great. But I had a Judas experience in the church. And, and, and I said, God, here's what I said. God, if I was a good pastor, if I was really a good, because, see, I was insecure. I was young. had no formal training. God, I'm just I'm learning as I go. God, if I was a good pastor, these people wouldn't act this way. And after about three weeks of moaning and groaning, and I'm going to quit the ministry because I'm not a good pastor, and it doesn't look like I'm ever going to be a good pastor, finally the Holy Spirit said to me, Is, was Jesus a good pastor? And I knew that was a trick question. And I thought a moment, I said, well, Jesus is perfect. He's perfect. He's the great shepherd. He's perfect. Anyway, the next statement that the Holy Spirit dropped in my heart was, Jesus had a Judas. I never thought about it like that. The Holy Spirit was urging me like, well, if Jesus was a perfect pastor, why did Judas act the way he did? Why did Peter deny him? Why did Thomas doubt him? Why did James and John want to annihilate a village because of their pride? I mean, if Jesus was the best of the best of the best and he was a perfect, he was, people still are going to behave the way they want to behave. They're still going to do what they want to do. They still have choices. We have choices to make in our life. And that kept me from quitting the ministry early in my life because I thought it was my fault that they were behaving that way. Was it Jesus' fault that Judas betrayed him? No, it was Judas's fault. Jesus gave the opportunity for ministry. Judas walked away from it. All right. How do we deal with these three? Here it is, and we'll wrap it up. Number one, let's go back to club. How do you deal with the club? People trying to disfigure you and your image of how people see you. Number, here's how you do it. Three words. Keep doing right. Say that with me. Keep doing right. You stay focused on what you're supposed to do and let God fight your battles. Psalm 25, 21 says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Psalm 26, 11, but as for me, I will walk in my integrity, redeem me and be merciful to me. You let God redeem you. Well, pastor, did all those people come back? No, that's their business and God's business, but God redeems me. I'm not worried. It's up to them to get redeemed from him. It's just up to me to get redeemed from me, see. God will redeem me if I maintain my integrity. You keep doing right. You stay focused on what you're supposed to do. It's like driving home tonight. You need to stay focused. You may look at that house for a second, or you may look at that sign over there just a minute, and you may look down at your phone for a second, but for the most part, you're going to have to keep your eyes on the road, or you'll be in a ditch, or hit somebody, or run off. See, that's what this is designed to do, spiritually, to get us to get our eyes off of what God wants us to do and run off in a ditch somewhere. 
Now, you all are getting ready to go into a building program. I mean, you're in it spiritually, but you're going to go through that. There would be all kinds of the enemies circling, trying to pick off people and pick off this family and pick off that family and pick off that family. Why? Because he doesn't want you to be a part of it. He doesn't want you to experience it. He doesn't want you to give to it. He doesn't want you to see it grow. And he'll pick one here, and he'll pick one here, and he'll pick one here, unless you don't allow him to do that. It's not automatic. He can't steal what we don't give him access to. So maintain your integrity. The number two is sword. What do you do when you've severed relationships? You pick up the pieces and move on. Say it with me. Pick up the pieces and move on. You go with what you've got, not with what you lost. You can never move forward with what you lost. You can only move forward with what you have. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Psalm 94, 17, Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would have settled in silence. So with the sword, you pick up the pieces and move on. Now, one of the most important, I told the the leaders the other Sunday night when we had a little short meeting with them, I talked about the most, one of the most important four-letter words that I learned in ministry, and I, I want to write a book on four-letter words. This I think that's what I want to call the title. Four-letter words I use in church. Well, love is a four-letter word, okay? And I, used, I taught them on a four-letter word, test, T-E-S-T. Here's another four-letter word that I learned that applies to what I'm talking about right now, N-E-X-T, next. When you've been severed from a relationship, what do you do? You pick up the pieces and you move forward, next. Now, as, again, as a young pastor, I would grieve. I would, oh, why? Because I love them, and I knew they made a mistake. I knew I was a lot better pastor in that church they went to. <laughs> I, knew they, I knew they had left under deception, not under uh, thus saith the Lord, okay? I, I knew they left under, under false pretenses, and they didn't have a clue. And my heart broke for them, and I yearned, and, and, and I wanted to reach out to them. And, and, and in the early years, I did, and I learned that that was a mistake. And, and, and I, I, would, I would reach out to people, and they would just chew me up and spit me out until one day I left a couple's house, and I drove home, and I, I never will forget this. She made wonderful pies, and she had this chocolate pie she just made, and I came in to sit down and talk to him. What's wrong? What's going on? And she got that pie, cut herself a piece, her husband a piece, and sat there and ate that pie in front of me without offering me a piece and chewed me out. How bad a pastor I was and everything. And, and it didn't have a basis of truth of anything they were saying. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, at least you could give me a piece of chocolate pie while you're chewing me out. I said, don't just beat on, man. I can, hey, just take a bite. And they were just mad. I said. I left there and I cried about half the way home. I said, Jesus, if this is what it means to be in the ministry, I'm done. 
And so the Holy Spirit said, I, I didn't tell you to do that. I said, well, I'm not going again unless you do. And I haven't. I haven't. I'll reach out to anybody the Lord tells me to, but you walk out and never say goodbye. Next. <laughs> See, you're a mean old man, aren't you, huh? Probably. But I'm sane. I think. No, really. No, really. Now, let's look at the spiritual precedent of that. Jesus is at the Lord's Supper. He's sitting here. He's got everything laid out. He's getting ready to institute the, 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 the new covenant. It is one of the most important, pivotal times in the history of mankind. And what happens? At that critical time, Judas gets up and leaves, and Jesus says, what you do, do quickly. Jesus could have got up and said, I'm done with this. I'm going to go pray two nights now and pick 12 more, and we're starting over because you all are losers. And I'm mad, and I'm hurt, and Judas just left. If I was a good pastor, he wouldn't have done that. Are you understand what I'm saying? At that critical moment, Jesus did not allow the pain of the moment to keep him from the purpose of his future. His purpose was to take that bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. His purpose was to take that cup and said, this is my blood. His purpose was to establish the future for those people, see? And he did not, when Judas walked out, I think Jesus, I don't know, I don't, obviously doesn't record he said it, but I think he looked over at the leaven and said, Next. What's next? What's next? What's next? Does it still hurt? Well, of course it does. But you can't allow the pain to keep you from your purpose. You have to pick up the pieces and move on. God has not stopped dreaming for you. God has not stopped planning for you. You pick up the pieces and you move on. We got a lot of military people I know in the church. You know, if you have a battle and you lose some of your comrades there and some of your buddies in, in the battle, do you all just retreat and run back and go home, quit? No. You take them, you medevac them out, or you, you carry them out, you do whatever, and you regroup and you go ahead. What do you do next? What's the next battle we got to go in? That's why you've got to do it spiritually too. All right, here's the last one, arrow. An arrow is designed for penetration. Now, if I was speaking in some churches, I couldn't touch on this subject. I couldn't use the analogy I'm getting ready to use because I would have somebody come up to me and just criticize me for killing innocent animals. But we're in Alaska, so. <laughs> there ain't nothing innocent in Alaska, all right? Am I okay, Pastor? I'm right? Okay. All right. I like to bow hunt. I've been doing it since the 80s. And so uh, back when we used just sticks and string. But um, uh, one of the key things is, is kinetic energy. You want that arrow shaft to penetrate as deeply as possible, and if possible, a pass-through, which means it goes all the way through the animal. And it's a quick, it's quick, quick kill, and that's what you want. And so... Um, that's what the arrow is designed to do. It's designed to penetrate deep in your heart. It's not a surface emotion that you have a little cry and you're over it, but it has penetrated into the deep recesses of your heart and it has wounded you. It's a very real wound. Listen, if you don't address it as such, you can't get healed from it. 
And listen, only God can heal those wounds. Only God can. And he will heal them. Ephesians 6.16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The way you deal with the arrows is you keep your shield up. You keep your shield up. You know, the, the armor in Ephesians 6, the, the helmet of salvation, there's a picture of that in your office. I saw it over there, a, a painting. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, loin skirt about with truth, feet shot of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay? You've got to keep your shield up. Now, now there's, there's different ways to do that. Let me give you just a couple here. Here's what I learned to do, as, and, and this has been through... 40 years of ministry. I have learned that the less information I have, the less information I have to process. So when someone comes to me, like in that, even in that scenario that I told you about that happened with one of my staff, uh, who are no longer in the ministry today because of their choosing, just backslid out of of the ministry today, Um, having a pretense, but but not, not really serving God. Um, people would come to me, Pastor, do, do you know what so-and-so said? Uh, no, whoa. No, no, I don't know. Well, let me tell you, no, I, I don't, I don't want to know. Well, you, you need to know. No, no, I don't need to know. Well, why don't you need to know? Because God's fighting my battles, and that's his information. It's not mine. Because if, if I soak up every bit of that slurry of lies and, and stuff, then I'm going to have to deal with it. If I hear it and it gets in my mind, I'm not going to sleep early tonight because I'm thinking about it and I'm chewing on And now I've got to cast down vain imaginations and everything that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. And I've got to, not, and I've got to deal with it and it's going to take me days and maybe even weeks to process that. And then who knows what goofy thing I might do after I hear it. Because then I may say, well, I'm just going, I'm going to deal with that right now. That's what I'm going to do with that right now. That's where I came up with a statement years ago, don't cause yourself more trouble than the trouble causes you. Because I've done that. I don't anymore. But I have. If it's on fire, don't go over there and throw gasoline on it. Sometimes you just back up and let it burn. Yeah. Next. <laughs> you, you have to hold up your shield. I don't want to hear everything. I don't, well, Pastor, you're not like me. I really need information. Okay. Sure you do. Yeah, you keep telling yourself that lie. What you like is discipline, and you're not disciplining yourself. Because you think if you, if you know it, you can do something about it. No, you can't do anything about it. It's spiritual. It's the devil. You, you just hold that shield up. You know, I've learned that if I fight my battles, God watches. God is watching you. I don't want him watching me. I, I want to watch him. So... If, if I don't fight my battles, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God will fight for me. 
So if, if it's either me or him, but it's not us. We are not fighting. I'm doing my part by doing what he's called me to do. That's my fight. I'm preaching on Sunday morning. I'm getting a word from God. I'm praying for the sick. I'm coming to the office and counseling. I'm making phone calls. I'm teaching. I'm praying. I'm staying on track. of. That's what I'm supposed to do in the fight while he's out here going around everybody's house dealing with stuff. And if he doesn't save me, and I'm, I'm not going to be saved, see? see? When we try to when we try to protect ourselves, our position or whatever, that's when we get in major error and we step into the snare of the enemy that can really jerk our chain. But if we'll st- just stay focused on what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to do, keep that shield of faith up. So you can't, no, you, you're going to miss a dart every now and then, yeah. yeah and there's, there's information, you know, it's not 100%. But I tell you, t- t- 10% of information is a lot easier to deal with than 100% information. Yeah. Besides that, then it's harder for me to forgive that person. If you know what they said about you, but I don't. I'm blissfully ignorant. I don't know what they said, so I don't have all those negative emotions, and I'm not going to fantasize about what they said. I wonder if they said this. I bet they said it this way. I bet they did that. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to cast down those vain imaginations, and I'm going to focus on the Word of the Lord for my life and what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm going to do what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to function the way God wants me to function. I'm going to hold up the shield of faith. And I'm going to start stop as many of those as I can. Can you stop them all? No. No. But when you do have one, when you do have one, when one of those arrows gets deep in your heart, just remember this. Jesus was touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He knows exactly how you feel because he's had them go through his heart. All the way to the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The ultimate of ultimate of ultimates. And he did that for you and I. Did it for you and I. So when nobody knows how you feel, Jesus does. And that's when your relationship with him can move into a deeper level of intimacy because you've been in it together. And you and Jesus. My heart is broken, Jesus. And Jesus says, I know. I know. Now I'm going to heal it. I'm going to heal your heart. When you just come to him and let him have it, have it. I call it the triangle of trouble, the club, the sword, and the sharp arrow, the triangle of trouble. You can overcome that, and you can minimize that in your life. You cannot eradicate it completely because part of it is simply part of the journey. So you can be the best daddy, the best mama. You can be the best wife, the best husband. And your spouse go crazy. Are you with me? But you maintain what you look like to Jesus. 
You maintain that image in your heart and mind, not what they're saying about you. You maintain what Jesus says about you. Yeah. And, 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 and you maintain the relationships that are there to really help you. And then you go to Jesus to heal that broken, pierced heart and soul in your life. And whether it's in that intimate relationship or in a business relationship or in a church family relationship or, or, or with your pastor or whoever it may be in life, just realize that this is one of the strategies of the devil to steal, kill, and destroy by using lies to disfigure you, to separate you from friends, and to pierce your heart. When you know it, you can minimize it. And you too can, like Jesus, say, next, pass me the bread, boys. I've got something new to share with you. And out of the midst, notice this. Judas left right before a major revelation from heaven was released. But the other 11 got it. They got that revelation scene.